Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who loves feeding a good bird. Palmer, how are you today? Oi, are you doing, governor? Doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think you went from Cockney into, I think, German, and then and then back into Cockney, potentially Australian. Yeah. <laughs> how are you? I'm good. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. I was going to do the entire episode as Eliza Doolittle, but uh, I just couldn't do it. Oh, I thought you were being Dick Van Dyke. No. What? I was dropping my H's like Eliza. Oh, I thought you were doing a bad Cockney accent like Like Dick Van Van Dyke. Dyke. (laughs) It works both ways. We're here to talk about the 1965 Best Picture Oscar nominees. They are as follows. Mary Poppins. Yep. Zorba the Greek. My Fair Lady. Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, and Beckett. Palmer. For some reason, I thought when you were saying the Dr. Strangelove title, I thought you had just said Dr. Strangelove and started saying another title. I'm like, I didn't see this movie. <laughs> what? Like, what do you mean there are weird six movies? There's supposed to be five <laughs> movies. What are you doing? Uh, no, uh, there are... Yes, five th- movies. There are five movies. Uh, Palmer, what one best picture? My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady won best picture. Yeah. Are you just saying that, or did you know that? No, I knew that. You knew that. Yeah. Okay. My Fair Lady won best picture, so we're going to do that one first. But we're going to start with a cinematic classic. We're going to do that one first, but we're going to start with. Oh, did I say? Did I say first? Yeah. I meant last. My no. fault. Womp womp womp. Well, we have to do the whole episode over again. <laughs> We don't. Not even. No, we filmed this thing in reverse. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing anything. We're going to start with Mary Poppins. Okay. Mary Poppins, directed by Robert Stevenson, written by Bill Walsh, Don Graditi, based on the books by P.L. Travers, music by the Sherman Brothers, starring Julie Andrews, Dick Van Dyke, David Tomlinson, Glennis Johns, among many, many other people, including Edwin. I'm surprised you didn't do an Edwin impression. <laughs> That was pretty good. I thought so. All right. Movie was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Adapted Writing, Cinematography for a Colored Film, Art Direction for a Colored Film, Costumes for a Colored Film, Sound, Best Music, and there are a couple of Best Music categories. This one is for Scoring of Music Adaptation or Treatment, which is not the same as um, Best Music, which is Substantially Original Music, which are two different categories. But this movie is substantially original music. Yes, I don't understand the difference either. I was hoping it would be one of your fun facts, but I guess it's not. Nope, not even a little. All right, oh well. This movie won Best Actress for Julie Andrews, her first film ever. Yes. Yes. Um, Editing, special effects, original song for Chim Chim Cheree. Really? Out of all those songs I know, Chim Chim Cheree was the one that won. That they were like, let's nominate that one. Mm -hmm. I mean, it won, so good for them. But yes, strange, strange choice. It really is. Out of I might I might list that as like the worst Disney film to a uh, Disney song to win since Coco. Really, you don't yeah. like Chim Chim Tree? I mean, it's good, but compared to the other songs in Mary Poppins, mm, that's a good question. We'll come to that. Yeah. Uh, we'll come to that, or we can talk about it now. I love Chim Chim Tree. I think it's one of their best songs, but I don't know if it's the best song in the in the film. Well, yeah, but that's essentially what I'm saying. Like, if you're going to nominate a song from the film, I don't know if I would nominate Chim. Ch- 
chimichurri. I wonder if it's because it's the theme is or the motif of Chim Chim Tree is laced throughout the rest of the film. And so it's That is very your, possible. Like whenever he's, more. whenever mm-hmm. he's on screen, he's usually like whistling it or humming it. That's or... correct. Yeah. So I, I wonder if that's the reason. But anyway, um, original song and then best music for the Sherman brothers. If the plot... They weren't really brothers. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? No, I don't know. Oh. Was it sounded like the, good though. It was like the Wachowski brothers are actually women? Well, yes. It's the Wachowski, it's the Wachowski siblings. Is that what they changed? They finally yeah. changed it. I didn't know that. That's what they. That's what they would prefer to be called. Oh, okay. Well, good for them. Yeah. Well, I know they were only the Wachowski brothers, so they would get work. So people would be like, "Oh, great." Uh, yeah, you're a tandem. Yeah, good. You're like the Warner Brothers. Yeah, WBs. <laughs> you're like the Warner Brothers. Were there actually two brothers that started Warner? No, it just sounded. Good. No, it just sounded good. Plot. In the turn of the century, London, a magical nanny, Mary Poppins, employs music and adventure to help two neglected children become closer to their father and also slap the father <laughs> into being a good dad. Wow. She doesn't really slap him, no, but... That just completely fell apart on you. I know. But she really does. She's really there. P.L. Travers said that she's really there to fix Mr. Banks and that the children are kind of like the avenue to do that. P.L. Travers said a lot of things. Well, P.L. Travers created Mary Poppins, so if I was going to listen to somebody, I would say she would probably be the person to listen to. I mean, I'm working on a theory that this entire movie is involved of Mary Poppins giving the children acid. (laughs) No, I don't. I hope not. Because... Is that what the medicine actually is? Yes, the medicine is actually acid. Because, like, when they come back from the park and they're talking about, you know, they're... Like, even when they're just in the nursery, mm-hmm. and they're like, we were in a chalk painting, having a romp through the countryside, and you won a horse race. And Mary Poppins is like, no, I don't think any of those things actually happened. <laughs> That's true. She just plays weird mind games with them. <laughs> I also believe that um, that Dick Van Dyke Bert. Bert, um, is actually a ghost who is who is forced to... Do a spell of time on Earth until he helps out enough people. Well, you know that's. I'm glad that you brought that up because there's there's two different theories as to like his role in the world, and it, it kind of ties to Uncle Al- Uncle Albert. Yeah. Yes, Uncle Albert Edwin. Who's his? Uh, by the way, because she calls him Uncle Albert, he calls him Uncle Albert. Are they both related? Who's his real nephew okay, or niece? So, so this is so this is this is where the the theories come in. Uncle Albert could just be his like name, like everybody calls him Uncle Albert, even though his first you know, name is Uncle. His first name's Uncle, or that's just like what everyone knows him as. Or that. he's from there, like he's a man from Uncle. He could be a man from Uncle. Yeah. That's correct. It's a weird like tie. Yeah. It's a weird yeah. tie-in. <laughs> um, so one of the theories is that. Albert, Bert, and Mary Poppins are all angels. Because the reigning thing, like, everyone just kind of goes with Mary Poppins as an angel. The first right. time that you see her, she's in the she's clouds. She's on the cloud. She's angels. Fixing her makeup. Right. As angels do. Right. Right. And so and so everyone, so if they're all angels, but they all have, like, their different levels and places in, in their roles on Earth. And so she comes down to help. Bert is always there. Um, Albert is always there. And they kind of just mix and they kind of just mix and match and mm-hmm. tag team and whatever else the other theory which is where the uncle bit falls apart where it's not just his name or whatever is that Bert and albert 
were previously under the care of Mary Poppins. So they're different generations of like kids that she's watched after. Okay. So Albert is the oldest of that, like, and then the next generation is Bert, and then the Banks generation, the Banks kids are the next generation after that. Right. And then, and then uh, Mary Poppins returns. It's the next set of Banks kids. Um, which I never saw Mary Poppins returns. You didn't? No, I no. know. Isn't that weird? It's that- a, it's a, it was okay, but it's a movie that treads heavily on you loving the original Mary Poppins. Mm, which I do. Right, but it. I wish it would have tried to stand on its own. Sure. It's basically Mary Poppins redux as opposed yeah. to... Okay. Um, also, it wasn't until you started talking that I connected, like, Bert and Uncle Albert are also just named the same. Like, Albert is... is Bert. Bert is short for Albert. Albert. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's funny. I did, I've never really Exactly. I that. didn't put it together until you start hearing someone talk about that it. That means they're definitely angels. That's what I'm... Or that or she only helps people that have bees in their name somewhere. <laughs> Banks. Banks. Albert. Yeah, mm-hmm. that could be it. But, I mean, aside aside from that, uh, you know, I, I wish Edwin was in more of the movie. He's His part is just really good. You know, it's funny because as a kid, when... That's the part. That's about the time in the movie, apart from Step in Time, that I started to lose interest. See, it's funny for me. It was when they jump into the chalk painting. Mm. Like, e- like as much as I love penguins and I love animation, mm-hmm. especially around this time, that sequence for me just goes on too long and doesn't really connect to the rest of the movie. No, it's almost. It's just. It's for just the like, fun hey, Dick spectacle. Van Dyke, we need you to dance a lot. Yeah, it's really just more for the fun spectacle right. of it. More than more than anything, to, to kind of like show that Mary is capable of anything, right? Which is fine. Like I get that. It just kind of not to me it stops the movie dead in its tracks. But it's right around there that like if that sequence isn't in the movie, this movie is now like a flat two hours, mm. and it probably clips by a little bit better. Yeah, but then you would you i actually jolly holiday with Mar- jolly holiday and super califragilistic are both in that right segment so, so you're taking out like you're taking out arguably the biggest song mm-hmm. that's right that's right S- but it was funny cuz pl travis didn't like that that sequence either no she didn't like the whole thing well she she really didn't like the sequence of them jumping into the paint like that whole painting thing she wanted to get it taken out of the movie and and disney said no Right. Well, I mean, she yes, she did have problems with with the movie in general. Mm-hmm. She did like the idea of Julia Andrews being cast Julie, as Mary Poppins. Not yeah, Julia. Julie. Julie Andrews is um, as Mary Poppins. As Mary Poppins. Well, that's good. Yeah, she's excellent. She is. She is very excellent. It's. It's. Stru- I haven't watched Mary Poppins in a long time, but it struck me how young Julie Andrews looks. Oh, absolutely. In the film, like she's in her. She's like twenty eight, twenty nine, something yeah. like that. But it, I just couldn't get over. Even the difference just in Mary Poppins to Sound of Music, which is just the next year, but she just seems a whole. She lived a hard life in that year. She did a hard life in that year. Mm -hmm. She did. It's really like two years, I guess, by the time that you like see one and then whatever. But but still, um, I. Yeah, I think that the the animated sequence is really kind of disney flexing a muscle at that point like we're an animated studio but we also do live action and now we can do both together right but they did that with song of the south previously yeah but even then they didn't talk about song of the south although they actually no then they did um song of the south a zippity doodah even as old as 
up until the eighties, I think uh, I had a sing along tape with Zippity Doodah on it. So. Oh yeah, Zippity Doodah. Like even even past that, they used to do like Disney sing along tapes and and laser discs back in the day, and it would take the sequences from the movies, just the songs, mm-hmm. and it would be like a like there'd be. Go ahead. No, continue. There'd Please. be like some weird wraparound story, like it was a bird teaching other birds music. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. And you're right. Zippity Doodle Hours in there. Um, the one that I had had that and Go Fly a Kite. Yes. I had that same one. It also had the, the Zorro theme from the television show. It had the show. Zorro. It had the three yeah, Caballeros. Yes. That yeah. was a great That was, was a great VHS. I also really, I always, I also found it really uh, hilarious that uh, for Go Fly a Kite, they start with like, they started so soon, they started so um before the song that the constable is on the phone mm-hmm. talking like, yeah, he's missing. He might be dead. <laughs> I just love, and also he just continues to be on the phone. Right. After like the whole song and yeah. whatever else. That's what I said, sir. <laughs> Go fly a kite. Uh, it's real fun. Well, anyway, the, the bit with, I, I got sidetracked, but the bit with the angel thing, with the kind of the, um, I guess weight that mm-hmm. that theory has is that Bert sees the camera. He breaks the fourth wall at the right. beginning of the film. And so he is magical in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so, but he still has enough savage, to know, like, Oh, you know, you over there beyond the camera, beyond the, yeah. the fourth wall, beyond come, the veil of death, beyond the veil. Yeah. Like come with me because yeah. I'm an angel. So I can see these things. So, but he can interact with other people. He's the, well, so can Mary Poppins. What? So can Mary Poppins. Yeah. Like. I suppose. Yeah. She, like, literally talks to everyone. She's not like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, where you only think she's talking to people. I mean, it's funny. Like, you only see her really interact with Bert, Uncle Uncle Albert, who might be another angel, mm-hmm. and the Banks family. And like, the captain guy. Does she actually talk mm-hmm. to the captain Yeah, guy? she talks to him. Okay. Well, yes. Because I, yes, well, I thought the captain guy just interacts with Michael because he's like, oh, where are you off to? And Michael's the one that answers him. Michael says, we're off to go see fish or get fish or have fish and do fish. Oh, you know, you are you are right there. The, the, she interacts with the staff, though. Well, I mean, that counts. As yeah, the I, she's family. supposed to be there. I think we're like looking. I think we're looking a little too hard into this. She's definitely supposed well, to be look, in the room. Well, look, my my review of Zorba the Greek is like three sentences, so we got to fill in time. Oh, here. I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> Actually, so let's move on to your fun facts away oh, from Mary Poppins. I mean, we could still talk about Mary Poppins through the fun facts. <laughs> Walt Disney cast Julie Andrews for the lead after seeing her in Camelot on Broadway. I did know that. When she mentioned she was pregnant, he offered to wait until she had her baby to start filming and offered her then-husband, Tony Walton, the job designing the costumes and some sets for the film. Disney also gave the couple a personally escorted tour of Disneyland and the studio to help them make up their minds. Hmm. I, have a, I have a fun fact to tie to that. Is it about your sister? No, not okay. at all. No. I Go ahead. I actually have no idea where that was going. Well, when they when the local theater oh, went sure. to do Mary Poppins, you're like, they really wanted my sister, and my sister was like, well, I don't know if I want to start a family at that point. So it would have been funny, like if she was pregnant. That would time. that would have been really funny, yeah. actually. That w- I actually did work on this musical. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. 
Actually, working on the musical made me appreciate the second half of this movie more as an adult, like the stuff with the bank and all that stuff. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's all. That's actually really interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also get this piano tuned. <laughs> when I sit down an instrument, I want it to work. But, but you, you don't play. I, that's the, not the principle of the thing. It's not the point. I, um, he's tr- it's right. Uh, my sorry, my my fact to connect to that is that uh, Julie Andrews was starring in Camelot, and mm-hmm. that's how she got the role in Mary Poppins. The guy who wrote Camelot, Alan um, J. Lerner, um, wrote also wrote My Fair Lady, yeah. which was one. Which of you didn't nominated. know until the other day when we were talking. No, but and we were like, doesn't matter. I was like no one knows the schmucks that did uh, who the schmucks that did uh, My Fair Lady were, and like you looked it up and like, oh, they did Camelot. Yep, and uh, Brigadoon. Yep, and Brigadoon. And I'm like, you're not helping your cause here. And you're like, yeah, I'm just going to shut up now. No, well, it's <laughs> funny that sometimes the sh- the show is bigger than the person. Yeah. You know, like, because I know Camelot. I know some of the music from Camelot. But I I couldn't have told you who wrote it. And same with My Fair Lady, which is very strange. But then you right. have people like, I think, actually, Les Mis is a perfect modern example of that, where everyone is like, oh, yeah, oh could- Les Mis, but nobody can tell you who wrote it. Cameron McIntosh produced it, right? It's not. It's not. Uh, what's his name? The guy who did the Into the Woods? Sondheim? No, it's not Sondheim. No. Nope. Mm-mm. Yeah, but see, that's funny that you know Stephen Sondheim. You'd be almost hard pressed to sing five of his songs if they weren't just from Into the Woods or Sound Oh, of I the couldn't. Clowns. I couldn't even sing the song from Into the Woods. Right. See, there you go. But you know Sondheim. Right. But then you have My Fair Lady or, or Camelot or whatever. You know a bunch of the songs, and you're like. Hmm, who did write that? I don't know which one's better. Is it better to be known, but no one actually can sing your stuff? Well, it's funny, because like, I could only sing one song. Prior to watching My Fair Lady, I could only sing one song from My Fair Lady. Sure, but then you saw it, and you're like, oh, right. that song, oh, that song, oh, that yeah. song. Oh, we'll get to My Fair Lady later. Yeah. Give it your second fun fact. So, second fun fact. The filmmakers didn't inform Karen Dautrous or Matthew Garbard that the surprises that were going to show up in the movie. Karen's dumbfounded look when Mary Poppins takes out item after item from the carpet bag and her little scream in Mary Poppins gave them medicine of different colors was genuine. The children were also not told who was acting as Mr. Dawes Sr. and were worried that the horrible old man was going to fall down and die at any moment. That's amazing. So Mr. Dawes was played by Dick Van Dyke, yep. which they did not want him to play. Um, he kind of like. He had to, like, elbow his way in to play that role. I don't know why he wanted to do both. Maybe uh, he just thought it would my be fun. Next, no, it's not my next stuff. Fun fact. What happened was during a during a makeup test, during, a, during some sort of pre-production stuff, mm-hmm. Walt Disney saw him amusing the people with his step-down routine. Oh. And when he saw that, he was like, all right, let's make him Mr. Dawes. And then he had the production team raise the step up another like six inches just so he could do the routine. That's hilarious. Yeah. Because that's a great bit. Yeah. It's, as a kid, not funny. You're like, why is this old man taking forever? <laughs> let's go. Chop, chop. Yeah. But as an adult, you're like, that's, keep going, Dick Van Dyke. Be funny so, with your abnormally long legs. So Dick Van Dyke shows up in Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah. He plays the grandson or the son of. Dawes, I, I believe. So. I believe it's the son of Dawes because mm-hmm. he's also he's essentially in the same makeup because he's all like he's really old. So he really plays. Put a beard on him instead. Well, I yeah. mean, <laughs> he. So it was funny that you see him as Dawes Senior and then Dawes Junior, like mm-hmm. in in Mary Poppins Returns, but not Bert. Bert 
earned his wings. Maybe he earned his wings, or yeah. maybe maybe he was somebody that took, was taken care of by Mary Poppins. Uh, something that I, you mentioned, the kids were surprised by some of the magic. Yeah. That's funny that you say, like, what's stuff being pulled out of the carpet bag? Because I was watching it last night, and I was still thinking to myself, like, how did you do this? You cut a hole on the bottom of the table. No, because there's no, there's, there's no cloth over the table. So there's like they're literally like you can see the kids' legs and hands and arms moving where the stuff is being pulled from. So I thought was like, well, maybe they filmed it two different times and they just overlaid the images together. That's kind of what I assumed that the kids were reacting and they filmed um, Julie Andrews by herself pulling the stuff out and then you just put the films the celluloid over one another. But if the kids were reacting. For real, I then I actually don't know. Kids how they are did easily it. fooled. Like the only, I'm easily like, fooled. Here's the thing. Apparently, is there was a thing about the medicine being different colors. Mm-hmm. Like you would still have to call cut and hand her another bottle. Like you can't have two different colors come out of the same bottle. Um, unless the consistency of each of each liquid in the bottle doesn't mix together, and then so she pours one out completely, and then. The, and then the other one pours out, you know what I mean? And then she pours out the second liquid that doesn't... You're looking way too much into this. I mean, it's possible. That's what, how you would do it on stage or something like that, because you wouldn't be able to switch the bottles. Mm-hmm. Also, there was like a little lever on the bottle that like closed one side of the bottle off, and then the See, other side opened. See, that would make sense. Yeah. I don't know. Movie magic. See, that's why I like, I like stuff like this, because you watch a movie in 2019, 2020, or whatever, and you're like, ah, yes, the computer... You know, but you watch Mary Poppins and you're like, I just don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This is the final film of Jane Darwell. She was living at the motion picture country home in Woodland Hills, California, when she was approached by Walt Disney Pictures to play the bird woman. She at first refused, but Walt Disney was set on having her in the film that he personally visited her at the home and eventually persuaded her to take the part. He even sent a limo to fetch and return her during her one day of shooting. Wow. Yep. That's so nice. It was. Huh. Why did he want her so bad? I don't know. Okay. He's just a big she fan. was the perfect bird woman. She's just a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. She had big wingspan, I guess. Indeed. Did she did she write a play and then try to mount it on Broadway to prove that she was a real actress and not just a blockbuster star? Probably. Mm-hmm. Thought so. That was a bird man joke. It was a horrible joke. But it was a joke. You mm. admit it. <laughs> I don't think you know what the word joke means. I don't think you know what the word horrible means. <laughs> We're at a true impasse here. Something I don't think we are going to be at an impasse about, though. Zorba the Greek. Zorba the Greek, directed by Michael Kakayanis. Kakoyanis. Kakoyanis. I, fi- I nailed it. I got it there the first time. Written by, ah, dang it, Michael Kakoyanis. <laughs> I knew it was coming, too. A novel by Nikos uh, Kazantzakis. Man, I'm waiting. That's what I am. Go ahead. You're filling in time. (laughs) Starring Anthony Quinn, (laughs) Alan Bates, Irene Pappas, and Lila Kadrova. Nominated for Best Picture. Actor for Anthony Quinn. Director. Adapted screenplay. It won Supporting Actress for Kadrova. Cinematography for a black and white film and art direction for a black and white film. Oh, no, just art direction. They didn't merge those, apparently. Every other one, they had separate categories. But I'm like, <laughs> nope, sorry, a set's a set. Doesn't matter what the color is. Like, anyway, uh, 
the plot is an uptight English writer traveling to Crete on a matter of business finds his life changed forever when he meets the gregarious Alexis Zorba, who likes Isn't to dance. Crete? Crete. I don't think it's pronounced Crete. Did I say Crete? Yeah. Crete. Yeah. Like crepe. Kind of. Crete. Only with the T. To Greece. He goes to Greece. He goes to Greece. He goes to an island. He goes to island off the coast of Greece. Where they have Mount Olympus. Sure. I mean, they do, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. This movie was horribly boring, and I really don't even want to talk about it. And I was actually looking forward to it because, this is going to sound terrible, but I'm a huge fan of My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Hilarious film. Love it to pieces. Could quote it from start to finish. The restaurant that the family owns in the movie is called Dancing Zorba's. And it's right. like it gets its name from Zorba the Greek. Okay. So I was like... I just like wanted to know about Zorba the Greek, in, like just because just because of that little tidbit. So just because of the tidbit about a movie that doesn't take place in Greece, mm-hmm. I didn't right. think they would be alike. I was right. just curious about the inspiration. Okay, and my God, this movie was boring. Yeah, this was this was easily the worst version of Mamma Mia I've ever seen. <laughs> if you laid the soundtrack to Mamma Mia over this, you would have more fun. I mean, I did at one point. I was just like, put it on mute. Just that's play that's excellent. I will say that Anthony Quinn is very good because he's he's usually very good. He's an he's a good actor. Yeah, but I don't even like. I don't even think his performance can save this film. No, because I don't think. I think the performance stands out because it's a bad film. Mm. But in a in a better film, I think it's just a performance. Like I don't think it would even be. Like, this is name recognition nomination at best. Possible. I mean, but uh, Kudrova, Lila Kudrova won. She was not the widow. She was the other. She was the other woman. Okay. Um, I honestly thought um, Irene Pappas was better. She was excellent. Yeah. She was, apart from Quinn, I, like, when she was on screen, I was actually invested. Okay. Because she barely said anything. But she she drew you in like nobody's business. Catherine Hepburn actually called her one of the greatest actresses of their generation. Well, that was nice of her, wasn't that? They were yeah. they were friends, darling. You're one of the greatest actresses of our generation. I really just wanted you to do your Catherine Hepburn yeah. impression. I'm working on it. It's getting better. Oh, that's what I was going to say earlier. Did you know this is the second Academy Rewind episode in one right. season where you talk about Song of the South? Yeah, yeah. Did you notice that I also use it to pad time? <laughs> Twice this season? No. Why do we have to pad time? These episodes are long enough as it is. Why because are you Because people time? expect it to be a certain length. Yes. It's got to have a good title and of a good length. A good title. It's always best picture with the year if followed by the movies that were nominated. We also got to keep up the jokes. I mean, I guess. And then you disappear for the length of a Bible. Okay. I can, hold on. I've got a good joke for you then. Um it better not be the wooden leg named Smith thing. I don't have another joke for <laughs> you. <laughs> it's literally the only joke I know. I do. I do. I do. I do a man with a leg named Smith. Oh, what was his other leg? <laughs> <laughs> wooden leg named Smith. Oh, hilarious. Yeah. So th- this movie, I don't know. If somebody out there really likes this movie, for the love of God, please tell me why. Like, I'm not saying it's not. <sighs> I think. It's it's a character piece, right? It's like it's about 
which it's is a, it, yeah, which is fine. I I quite like character pieces most of the time. It's about Alan Bates's character learning to kind of express himself and like love life a little bit. And you know, even though terrible things happen, like Zorba talks about like what he's lost and everything, but he still has this zest for life. Mm-hmm. And it's about um, it's about Alan Bates's character kind of learning to appreciate life and not just kind of walk past it. And in the 60s, middle of the 60s, it's huge. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you should appreciate life despite the terrible things. Boo, Vietnam and stuff. You know, like all that. You know what I mean? Like, so so I get get that Mm -hmm. stuff, but I don't think it does a great job. Maybe it doesn't hold up. Maybe it doesn't, not that it doesn't do a great job, but. I mean, it definitely doesn't hold up. It's just like if this was good back then it definitely doesn't hold up. Yeah, it's just it's just dull. It doesn't I just don't care I don't care about anybody in the film and I think except for again, I care about the widow. Yeah. She's the only one. Um this is like this is almost like 90s and 2000s art house cinema. Yes. At times. Agreed. Um, like, oh, we're, we're on the island of Greece. We want to, we want to make it look real. And it's like, you know, there's some shots that look very documentary-esque with like the crowds of people in the moving camera. But overall, like the, the story just falls extremely flat. Maybe this works better as a play. You know, it probably would be a good play. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I yeah. would I would even be curious to see how this works as a play if it's tightened up. It just needs to be tighter. Well, yeah, because that's the other thing. It's like this movie's three hours long. It doesn't need to be. No. Like hour, hour 10 45. Minutes. Hour 45. 10 minutes. <laughs> so just a one-act like, play. Like, just give me Aiden Quinn dancing on the beach, and it's, that's it. It's not Aiden um, um Anthony Quinn, not Aiden Quinn. Yeah, Anthony Quinn, Aiden Quinn. So it's just, it's the it's same just Anthony Quinn walking and being like, yo, Bates. Be happy, and then he just dances for nine minutes, right? And then that's the end of the right. That's give that movie the, all the awards at that point. Okay, that's fine. Do you have fun facts? I do. Fun facts. Fun facts. The Cannon Group Incorporated planned a movie version of the Broadway musical with Robert Weiss directing. Anthony Quinn was to reprise his role, and John Travolta was slated to take the part of Basil. Really? Yep. That See, was, now I'm invested. That was automatically a better movie. <laughs> Anthony Quinn had a broken foot during filming and thus couldn't perform the dance on the beach as scripted, which called for the for much leaping around. The dance is called the shrataki and contains elements of, from various traditional Greek dances. It was created especially for this movie. That's exciting. The collapse of the cable r- railway had to be shot twice because the first attempt happened too fast for the cameras. <laughs> old cameras. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stinks, but haha, <laughs> old cameras. Next movie? Yep. Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, which is hilarious because it tells you the end of the movie in the title. I mean, it doesn't cuz you don't you don't love the bomb at all in this movie. Um the people the people in the war room choose to love the bomb at the end of the film. We're going to get to that. Okay. Directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Stanley Kubrick, along with Terry Southern, based on the book Red Alert by Peter George. Starring Peter Sellers, George C. Scott, Sterling Hayden, Keenan Wynn, Slim Pickens, Peter Bull, and James Earl Jones. 
nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Sellers, Director, Adapted Screenplay. This movie won zero awards. Yes. Yes. The plot, if you've never seen Dr. Strangelove, an insane general, um, aptly named Jack D. Ripper, which yep. is hilarious. Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. Jack D. Ripper uh, goes insane and triggers a path to nuclear holocaust that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically try to stop. Yes. Yes. That's the plot of the film. Yep. For Kubrick, it's really straightforward. This is the most accessible Kubrick movie. Um, This and The Shining, I would argue, are probably... I knew you were going to say The Shining. I think The Shining is really accessible up until the part where the guy in a bear costume is giving... Um... I think The Shining's really accessible up until the part they get to the hotel. <laughs> so that's like the third scene. Maybe that's like the, the third hour. The third. Oh, yeah. You don't like The Shining, do no, you? No, I don't mind The Shining. I like it. I don't necessarily see it as such a great film. Mm. Um, and there's issues, but we'll get to that when we when we do that episode. The Shining episode. Yeah, The Shining episode. I, that's not a thing. Well, it could be. Oh, you know, it could be. You're yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not not a Best Picture nominee movie, but you're right. It could be a thing. <laughs> okay. So. It's definitely the most accessible one. It's the most straightforward. There's no real like there's no real like in-depth weirdness that usually permeates um a Kubrick film. A Kubrick film. I would also say Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon is another very one. accessible. Yeah. Uh but I that mean, is up until long about and the end. Dull, but it's accessible. Yeah. That is up until about the end where where you have Slim Pickens riding the bomb, mm-hmm. blowing up Russia, and then you cut to the you cut to the war room where they devise this plan of people living in mine shafts because it's it's deep enough to protect them from the from the nuclear fallout. Right. It's like blast from the past. Right. And while they while they are coming up with this idea. Mm-hmm. The Russian, the Russian uh, ambassador just goes wandering over, taking pictures of some, you know, taking pictures of the war room board, mm-hmm. and then it cuts to other things blowing up in a nuclear fallout. That ending, that ending kind of sequence is so weirdly done that there, like, to me, there's like another version of this movie out there with like 20 minutes more where that where that ending fits better because it's just like it looks abruptly cut and bounces around a little too much oh you know i i've never really had that impression i was always under the assumption that they dr strange love comes up with this has this plan i shouldn't even say come up comes up with it he's clearly thought it out before where he has this plan where he's like the whole thing is kind of almost orchestrated by him in a weird way where he was a Nazi. He defected to the United he defected to the United his States. His hand didn't defect. His hand did not defect. No, you are correct. Um and so he comes to so he comes to the United States in Operation Paperclip, assumedly. Yeah. And and he uh, and uh he basically orchestrates this whole thing where the world blows itself up except for the people in the war room and they kind of 
they have this plan to kind of just repopulate the earth and live here and the men will have 10 women per men and they all have to be beautiful to like increase the chances of sexual encounters and babies and to repopulate right. whatever. So I've always just kind of assumed that all the bombs going off at the end are like everyone just like letting the world explode so the so the people in the war room can like go through with this plan. But there's no women in the war room. Yeah, well, that's the fault like, of the plan. Like this is this is a bad plan. There's also, no point. fighting in the war room. If huh, you recall. There is no. <laughs> um, so aside from that, like I said, I I would like to see like this movie's an hour and a half, and I would have been fine with it going another like twenty thirty minutes mm-hmm. to give me a little bit tighter of an ending. Sure. Uh, this movie is also hilarious. Oh, it's so funny. Um, it P- give Peter Sellers. Yeah. All the awards for three parts. It's it's great. P- Peter Sellers, George C. Scott's great in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, uh, do you know that? I, I don't know if this is your fun fact or not. I don't. Not. I don't. Uh, the the tumble that he does. Yeah. When he's like, but sir, and he tumbles, but the big board. He'll see that, that was an accident. Yeah. He didn't mean to fall because yeah, you Cooper's can actually. Like, ah, he's really in the character because you can see it in the cut where he pauses where he says the big board and there's this weird pause because he was waiting for Kubrick to <laughs> yell cut. And then they edit into like the next the next frame, right? So, but you could clearly tell he's like, I kept going, but I didn't go far enough. <laughs> but it was st- it's so funny, it's so funny. This movie's great. I think this was the first Kubrick film I ever saw. Actually, it wasn't The Shining. Mm. Um, I think my pretty sure I was in high school, and my dad introduced this movie to me. Okay, yeah, because he wanted you to worry about nuclear annihilation. No, he didn't want me to worry about the bomb. That's the point of the movie. But no, it's a how I stopped worrying and to love the bomb. No, it's a, it's a bad title because after watching this movie, I'm still worrying about the bomb. And it's because you know who's not going to be in one of those underground bunkers? Me. I mean, we're kind of in one right now. Yes, but still, <laughs> <laughs> like their idea, like their idea was not included for us. Like we're we're gone. Yes, that is correct. Yes. I mean, but I also hopefully won't know because it's just. Well, you'll know like you'll know from the time like it starts coming to just before it hits the ground. Mm, that's a good point. So you have all of those many minutes of anxiety to deal with. Ugh, I hate anxiety. I hate minutes. See, it's terrible. You know, I think it's a bad title for us. Yes, the audience, but the title isn't for us. It's, it's for the people in the war room. It's for the people in the war room, so it's a hilarious title. But there's also a reason why people just call it Dr. Strangelove. Because it's got 13 words and that's way too many? Yes. Yes. It's like Birdman, you know, or the impossible no, it's just being of the, the, the being and the, the possibilities of the, the endless, the, the void. The best of times and the worst of times. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm... Fudging. This is what I James Earl Jones's first movie. Is it really? Yes. Is it really? He pops his head out and it's like, "Hey, it's James Earl Jones." I heard his voice first. Yeah, and I and I was like, is it "James Earl Jones in this movie?" I don't. Well, that, that's wow. Not... I didn't see his name in the beginning. No, I didn't. I don't read. Need to pay attention more. I don't read. That's not true at all. Actually, I, I know it's true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um. So. This movie, movie is it's just really good. Like it holds up. Oh, so f- I. It's definitely not for everybody, and that's a, like you could say that about most really? Kubrick films. But it's a very particular sense of humor. 
Really? I don't. I think so. Yeah. You show me somebody who doesn't like this movie, and I'll show you somebody who should not be asked their opinion. Okay. Ever again. Okay. I will take that challenge. But I love it. Don't get me wrong. Right. But, but the but it's a very it's a very particular dry humor, and not and dry doesn't work for everybody. I don't know if I would call it dry humor. It's very dry. Are you kidding, gentlemen? There's no fighting in the war room. It's hilarious, but that's a dry joke. It's it's based based on the wordplay. When I think dry, I think like British comedies, and this is not a British comedy. No, but dry doesn't have to just be British comedy. Sure it does. No, that's not how comedy works. Or Monty Python. That's also British comedy. Right. I'm just saying, this is funnier than both of those. Uh, I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that, but it, but the but like Monty Python is not for everybody because you have to get dry humor. It's the same, it's the same thing. Like when they're talking about the bomb and George C. Scott's like, "Sir, I'm not saying that we shouldn't mess up our hair a little bit or something like that's <laughs> great." But it's all in context. It's it's not a it's not like say some of the jokes of Mary Poppins that like they're like they're just dad jokes basically yeah like you know and and so those are they're just different this is all situational humor but it's all but it's all verbal right you know the other thing is um i would really like an entire movie of of just dr strange love oh like what what's he's up what he's up to yeah like what he's up to what he's thinking like where's he come from what's he do there Probably. was Probably rolls about. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a movie based on Peter Sellers' life a, f- a bunch of years ago now uh, with Jeffrey Rush as oh, Peter Sellers. yeah, that's right. I forgot yeah. about that movie. I can't, can't remember what it was called. It was like The Many Lives of Peter Sellers mm-hmm. or something. Um, and it made me it made me just think like I wouldn't mind an updated version of this movie, like a remake with Peter Sellers, uh, with the Peter Sellers parts as Jeffrey Rush. Oh yeah, I would love that. He could do it too. Jeffrey yeah. Rush is is a good good actor. Yeah. You know what else is good though? Your fun, fun facts. facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Give me dumb fun facts. Filmed during the spring and summer of 1963, the first test screening was scheduled for November 22nd, 1963, the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. <laughs> the producers felt that the public would not be in the mood for a black comedy so soon after a traumatic event, so the premiere was moved back to late January 1964. See, it's a black comedy, not a dry comedy. I don't think that word means what you think it means. The War Room was inspired by Metropolis. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the movie. Yeah, that's really cool. The The boards are absurdly large. It's hilarious. It's like the Batcave computer where it's just like the entire wall well, yeah, is the computer. You need to be able to see them wherever you are. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, go back and watch um, Go back and watch West Wing. It's kind of the same thing like the Situation Room. It's like the entire walls are... Sure. No, that's fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But like the big board is... Obscenely large because it's called the big board. That's true. I know. Oh my gosh, Tim, why the big I, board. Why do I talk to you? This dry humor, Palmer. We talked about this last episode because a one-person podcast is very boring. Was that last episode? Probably. Okay, it's the last one we filmed. We record. There's no filming. There's no camera here. Right. Right. I'm in your house. I don't know. <laughs> 
The U.S. government dismissed Stanley Kubrick's scenario of an accidental nuclear war as too far-fetched. However, the scene where Group Cap Mandrake is trying to get through to the Pentagon with the code to recall the bombers, but doesn't have enough change to pay the payphone, was shown at a session of Congress. Members said it raised legitimate questions about whether crucial information could find its way to the right people during a nuclear crisis. Hilarious. Yeah, and obviously that's the thing that no longer has to worry about because you just have a cell phone. Sure. But I thought about that. I was like, if you're calling the Pentagon and like your call is like, hey, we could all be annihilated, like you would think that's one of the like toll-free calls at that point. You would think so. But think about how many people would then just try to call the Pentagon for the heck of it. I mean, you just don't tell people. That's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. That's why it's a black comedy. We'll never know. Right. Unanswered questions. Let's talk about Beckett, directed by Peter Glenville, written by Edward Unhalt, based on the play by Jean Anoul. I don't know if I said that right. A-N-O-U-I-L-H. Jean Anoul. I know it was translated. So Valjean. Valjean. Yeah, sure. Close enough. Starring Richard Burton, Peter O'Toole, and John Gilgud. Uh, so, strange name. Nominated for Best Picture, Actor for Burton and O'Toole, Supporting Actor for Gilgud, Director, Cinematography for a Colored Film, Art Direction for Color, Costumes for Color, Sound, Editing, Music for Substantially Original Score, which is different than scoring of music for adaption or treatment. Right. Right. Exactly. This movie won... Adapted, best adapted screenplay. Uh, the plot is King Henry II of England comes to terms with his affection for his close friend and confidant Thomas Beckett, who finds his true honor by, sir, by observing God's divine will rather than the king's as the Archbishop of Canterbury. I added that last bit, the Archbishop of Canterbury. There was a nice, this nice uh, play about it called Murder in the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot. Read it in high school. That's it's not really a nice play. It's about murder. That's true. There's a well-written play ah, by T.S. Eliot. You know what else T.S. Eliot a poem. wrote? Hmm. Yeah, yes, he wrote the Cats poems. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know it. Cats. Yeah, I know what you were going to say. Yeah. Name me one other thing that T.S. Eliot wrote. Doesn't matter. Yes. Oh, he wrote um, He wrote Murder in the Cathedral. Oh, I nailed it. No. Something, <laughs> something that's not what I just nope, said. Too late. I win. Ugh. That's sad. So, he wrote The Wasteland, Palmer. It's a very important piece of work. <laughs> Never heard of it. I know you. <laughs> so. I'm alone. Uh, <laughs> so alone. In a wasteland. Just like Henry O'Toole. Just like Peter O'Toole as Henry II. I'm this is so the second alone time we've seen and him. miss my friend. <laughs> this is the second time we've seen him as King Henry II. I know in reverse order the next time he's going to be a baby. Still yeah. played by Peter O'Toole. <laughs> No, he's going to be older. No, because we're going in reverse because we already saw him as the older Henry right, II. Yeah. And then he's younger. It's like the Benjamin Button of Henry II. We're yeah. just going in reverse order. I made that thing up about the baby, though. I hope so. Yeah, no, I, I honestly did. That's So uh, one. Of, there was a worry mm-hmm. that this movie back in the day when it came out that would people... Would offend England? Well, people felt that... It was too boring for a movie. Like, it worked as a play, but what? people felt that the movie was... It's the opposite of Zorba the Greek. Yeah. 
that the that they felt like everyone lo- loved the play, but they felt the translation to the movie wouldn't work. And I gotta say, I think they're right. I disagree. Like, I love I, this movie. Like I heard you, I heard you explain what the movie is about, and that is a great write up as to what the movie is about. And that's a movie I really want to see. And then I remember I've seen this movie, and while the acting is good, mm-hmm. while the interaction between the main uh, protagonist and antagonist is is very good. The movie that it's kind of built around falls short, and if this was just two people talking on a stage, then I'm I'm a little bit more into it. That's very interesting. I don't dis- I uh, don't agree with you. I shouldn't say I don't disagree. That's a double negative and not true at all. I don't agree with Which you. Which is proof positive. Yeah, I double standard. I think this movie was spectacular. And I don't think it's the best acting by O'Toole or Burton. I think they're both very good. Right. And they're actually almost playing against type, which I really liked. Normally, Richard Burton, you you know, Richard Burton, and I'm so big and angry and this and, you know, whatever else. And Peter O'Toole is a little like, oh, it's me, Peter O'Toole. I'm a little calm and stuff. Um and so they're they're playing against part. See, I and never type. see Peter O'Toole calm. The only time I've seen him calm is Star Wars. When was Peter O'Toole in Star Wars? Wasn't he one of the generals? No, you're thinking no. Peter O'Toole was not in Star Wars. If you say so, you're thinking of Grand Moff Tarkin, who was played by who was played by. It'll come to me. It's sitting in the back of my brain. Van Helsing. He was played by Van Helsing. Van Helsing wasn't a real person. I know. It'll come to me. Okay. Oh, it's really going to bother me now. I know. You're welcome. Uh, I've got to keep talking. Anyway, okay. i got to patent office this thing. Yep. Okay. So, have I ever used that phrase on this podcast before? No. No. Einstein, when he was working on the theory of relativity, worked at the patent office we to do that. a mundane task yeah. to allow his brain to work on the important stuff in the background. Like so- who is... Who played Grand Moff Tarkin? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to patent office this thing. Okay. I'm going to continue with this podcast while my brain works on the important things. Oh, it's but you're not really. Like... No, it'll come to me, and I'm not going to look it up. It, okay. If if it, if we get to the end of the episode, and I yeah. still can't think of it, I will look it up. Okay. But so I can understand why this movie bored you. I can definitely see it. When I was a kid. It, my mom loved this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, she loves this movie, I should say. So it was. It used to be on in the house, but I've never sat down to actually watch it. So okay. I, I was expecting to also not like this movie because I was like, oh, man. See, I was expecting to like it. Maybe that's where we both went wrong or I went right, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I was incredibly interested from start to finish. I knew the story. So I. it's not like I was like, oh, who is this Thomas Beckett person? I don't know how much you knew the story. Because I I was when I started the movie I was complaining to you about how weird British history is and I was like and they're ruled by France and what is going on and then you're like ah yes but that changed when this happened and I'm like no no this is this is back when the- I had it mixed up yeah yeah William the Conqueror France beat the Normans the Saxons are our people who Germany basically Normans are yeah. It's very it's very challenging and difficult, I understand. Like, I really like the history. Basically, I, the Canterbury Tales is the reason that we speak English and not French when it comes down to it. Modern 
English the way that we know it was first written down for the Canterbury Tales. By Chaucer. By Chaucer, right. And you know that from A Knight's Tale. Big Bang Theory. Oh, shoot. You really know that from A Big Bang Theory? I know that Chaucer wrote Canterbury Tales from Big Bang Theory. Oh, because, um, what's her name? Amy's favorite. Amy's favorite, that's right. The Woman of Bath and whatever else. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember the name Chaucer from A Knight's Tale because it's Paul Bettany. That's right, and he's great. Before he wrote the Canterbury Tales. Anyway, not important. Yeah, so we're back to Grand Moff Tarkin is Peter O'Toole. That's correct. It's not Peter O'Toole. It's... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um... And I've lost my train of thought. I I thought the I liked Richard Burton's subdued performance. I liked Peter as Daniel Craig as Daniel Craig. As he looks Thomas like B- Daniel Craig. He kind of does look like Daniel Craig. Oh, my computer is talking at me. Oh, oh, the the AI uprising has started. <laughs> it has. I was weirdly listening to a podcast about Terminator Three before coming here, so that's funny that you said that. Um. Yes, it was about Terminator 3. It's a great podcast called The Sequelizers. They're from Britain, and they um, repitch movies that have, like, that their bad sequel. Right. So it would go, like, um, let me think of an example. I guess I'll do Terminator. So, like, Terminator 1 is good, Terminator 2 is good, and 3 is where it starts to wane. It's not necessarily bad. It's just where the franchise starts to dip, and that's where they come in, and they'll, like, each team will do their own pitch. On the My film. pitch would be to get James Cameron back. I mean, it's not a bad idea. We'll see how that turns out. Turns out good. Trust me. Does it? I think this episode will be out by the... No. Oh, yes. No. Dark Fate will be out before this episode oh, releases. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. Beckett is... I think Beckett is worth your time if you're interested in British history. Just if, don't expect interesting parts of history. I no, I I think, but it's poli- it's the politics side of British history in some ways, but it's really about their friendship, and more than that, it's really about Henry the Second and how he misses his best friend. But, Which is fine, but, but in a terrible way because Henry the Second was like so full of himself, he didn't really get it. Which is fine, but this movie just seems to like skip over almost anything interesting. Explain. It just does. Like he he nominates Beckett to be the bishop or archbishop or second in command, mm-hmm. and then Beckett goes off and he's like, "I'm going to become more pious now." Remember when I helped you? Remember when I helped you bed that farmer's daughter? And then you know you jumped onto the horse and we ran out. You know I'm not going to do that anymore because now I'm a priest. I was always a priest, but now I'm really a priest. No, he was a deacon before. He was an archdeacon. Like he was tr- still a man of God. That's right. Yeah, still. Aren't we all, though? Um, so he he was an archdeacon, and that's how they wormed him into being the Bishop of Canterbury. Right. Um, but then once he became the Bishop of Canterbury, he was like, oh, I, this is better. I'm actually doing something, like, I actually feel good, and, like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, yeah. and, like, all this stuff. And that's where he got muddled, because he he couldn't be the king's advisor Plus being the Bishop of Canterbury because there was this separation that was supposed to happen. And that's why Henry got so angry. I mean, this movie, I I thought this movie was interesting pretty much up until he becomes the Bishop. Like, then I think the movie kind of starts falling apart. I don't think it falls apart, but I do think it is more interesting. In, well, I mean, he becomes the 
Bishop of Canterbury pretty quickly. Yeah. But maybe within the first half. I think it's like half he's not the bishop and then the other half no, he is. No, it's like the first half hour. Half no, hour he becomes minutes. the he becomes the king's advisor or regent or whatever in the first in the first half hour or so. But then, right, so maybe around the movie's there, two exactly. and a half. If the movie's two and a half, yeah. So it's around there. Then it starts falling apart. It's like that like, hour. Mark. The whole the whole thing in the court when he's like telling the where he's telling the priest, he's like, "Hey, the law is either you send somebody to help me fight in my war, or you pay me." And the priests mm-hmm. are like, "We're men of God. We don't fight. Thus, we should not have to pay you, and we should be exempt from this." And he was like, "Just for that, Beckett." I'm, you're overseeing them now. Like, that is all interesting, and that to me is really good. Like, those are the good parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. And from there, it kind of just goes downhill. You're right. It focuses on their friendship or and King Henry missing him. But while there's interesting stuff going on in the country, this movie really only focuses on the after effects of it and not necessarily what's going on. It's like, hey, out there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a, there's an episode of the animated version of Clerks where they talk about bringing the show back to the movie, mm-hmm. which is just them inside of the, which is just them inside of the quick stop. And sure. they're like, no matter what happens out there, we're not going to go outside. So the entire episode is people coming in and telling about all the interesting stuff happening out there. Like there's a. There's a bunch of vampires running across. Like Peter Cushing, his name is Peter Cushing. Good job, thank you. He, Peter Cushing, played Graham off track, and man, I feel good. <laughs> he goes, well, like there's a bunch of vampires running around outside. There's a fair, and the Ferris wheel broke off, and it's rolling down the street. Like all these interesting things happening, and the episode doesn't deal with any of it. And that's what this movie is. I'm sorry, I was thinking about Peter Cushing the whole time. I really wasn't listening to a word of that. Well, you'll have to go back I, and listen. I heard. Clerks, the animated series, and they were trying to get back into the movie or something, and that's where my mind started to IMDb Rolodex, <laughs> and I was just scrolling through my docs without, like, thinking. It's just like the repetitive motion of the patent <laughs> office, and then I got it. Peter Cushing, not Peter O'Toole. You were close with the Peter, and they do kind of look alike. I'm still going to call him Peter O'Toole. You do that. It's not... You know, incorrect. Or... Well, anyway, that's my whole thing on this movie. I'm sure you are correct in some way. I'm always correct. Okay. I am the voice of the people. Indeed. The Vox Populi, can you if do, you will. Can you do the, the fun facts now? I can. Thank you. Fun fact, Peter Cushing played Grand Moff Tarkin. I don't mm-hmm. know why that was a fun fact for this movie, but it was. But it was. Interesting. Peter O'Toole's crown was made of cardboard. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Empress Matilda, King Henry II's... This movie was nominated for Best Costumes. That's great. (laughs) King Henry II's mother had been chosen by her father, King Henry I, to rule after his death. But the ruling council of England decided it would be inappropriate for a woman to rule and named her cousin, Stephen, as king. This set off several decades of war during which Matilda captured much of Western England and was proclaimed Lady of England. Though she never became queen, she successfully established her son Henry's claim to the throne. She died in 1167, three years before Beckett's murder. Huh. Spoiler, Beckett dies at the end. Yep. History. Sorry. Also, William Wallace. Was that the... No, that's... A, that's no, that's King Edward. Edward that's Edward. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just watched Outlaw King. That's the only reason William Wallace is in my head. Uh, as soon as production had wrapped, Roger Corman arranged with the producers to leave some of the sets standing. He then moved in and filmed The Mask of the Red Death, thus giving the thriller a far grander look than it might have on a typical AIP budget. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Mask of the Red Death is a good movie. I mean, it's good for a Roger Corman yeah. horror and movie. The other thing that I didn't list on there is all of these all of these places are sets. This is all filmed in a studio. So it's not like they found like grand cathedrals or mm-hmm. or mansions to film in. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's pretty Really pretty incredible. Are you ready for the last movie? Yeah. My Fair Lady, My Fair Lady, My Fair Lady. That's not a song. That song is on in this film. Directed by George Cukor, written by Alan J. Lerner and George Bernard Shaw, to which wrote the play it's based on, Pygmalion, which we already covered on this show. Yes. Starring Audrey Hepburn, Rex Harrison, Stanley Holloway, Wilfred Hyde-White, Gladys Cooper, and Jeremy Brett, who went on to play... Sherlock Holmes, just like Peter Cushing, who mm-hmm. also played Sherlock Holmes. And Nom- Peter O'Toole. And Peter O'Toole. Did he play Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. And know. then he went on to play Going Moth Talker. No. By the way, I fell, I fell right into that. You did. That, that was my fault. <laughs> Nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Holloway, Supporting Actress for Cooper, Adaptive Screenplay, and Editing. This movie won Best Picture, Actor for Harrison, Director, Cinematography for a Colored Film, Art Direction, Costumes, Sound, and Music. Uh, story revolves around Professor Henry Higgins uh, making a bet with uh, a friend of his to see if he can turn a um, lower class woman and trick her and trick people into thinking she is from high society. Henry Higgins. Henry Higgins. H. 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 What a charming, lovely movie this is. I love My Fair Lady. It's, a, it, it's, it's fun. It's a little long. I think the musical yeah. is long as well. It, it, it kind of kind of grinds to a halt and we talked about this off air but it grinds to a halt in a different place for each of us um i think the horse race for whatever reason she like reveals herself like and then you're like move your blooming ass and then i'm like "Eh, all right that's it i don't care anymore yeah and then i care again with the song on the street where you live because i love that song Mm -hmm. and then i stop caring again (laughs) yeah i kind of stopped after her debut in high society Mm -hmm. which is the horse race no, I meant at the ball. Oh, okay. Okay. It's pretty. It's very pretty. It I, is. But at that point, it's like, all right, you've done the thing you set out to do, and yet there's still half the movie left. That's right. Well, I mean, it, it's it's he is terrible, Professor he's a Higgins. Confirmed he is bachelor. Yeah, he is. He is a confirmed bachelor. Right. I love that title. I wish that was a thing that was still like, ah, yes, Bruce Wayne, confirmed bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, and so he's terrible and definitely sexist of his time and of the time in the sixties, I guess. And he has this mentality. I mean, it's all for like the English language. Like there, he has no interest in her sexually, nor does he like want to like, they don't fall in love with one another. They come to respect one another and care for each other's company, but Mm -hmm. not in a romantic way. I remember reading an interview uh no reading which is either. different from Pygmalion. It is different from Pygmalion and um at least the film. I can't remember about the play itself, but the I remember watching no, it was behind the scenes of My Fair Lady years oh. ago and I 
they were talking about the immense difficulty in writing a love song that is not a romantic love song. And that's, I've grown accustomed to her face. And so, and they said, it's very to like to really get the message that he enjoys her and her company, but it has nothing to do with being in love with her. It's very difficult. And I think Rex Harrison does a really good job at selling that. Um, he played the part on Broadway originally and then came into the movie to watch it. So in some ways his best actor win is a little like it's like cheating almost because mm-hmm. he had practice, you know, he had done all the stuff. There's a great behind the scenes of the play in which the, with a woman in your life, you know, that scene of the song that, so he's practicing with the orchestra, like two days before the, sh- the curtains go up for the first time on opening night. And the orchestra goes, and he's like, I demand that be taken out. I've lost my place in the song. Cause he's not really a singer. He, right. he's, it's all recessive and he's, he's speaking the song. And so, um, which is not written that way. You know, people perform it that way now because of him. Right. But there were notes on the page. And, um, and like, the orchestra, like, having the orchestra is not how he had originally rehearsed, and it freaked him out. Right. And he was so nervous. And then he won an Oscar for it. So, jolly for him. R- reminds me kind of of um, the original Phantom of the Opera actor. Michael Crawford? Michael Crawford, um, who had problem with the prosthetics. Oh, really? And... He didn't like the way his face looked when he said the letter P or the sound for P. So he wanted them to take out any P words that he had to sing. That's so strange. And they were like, no, you're you're a moron. No, I'm sorry. Prima Donna <laughs> is staying. <in> <laughs> <laughs> like, hey. Well, I think it was um, like, they, like the one that they point to is like little prying Pedora. Like, no, we're not changing these words no. at this point. No, it's excellent alliteration. Yeah. Shut up, Michael. I, uh, I know we had a problem singing with the mask, yeah. like the full mask, but I didn't know about the, um, I didn't know about the, uh, the peas. That's funny. Yeah. I, I like this movie. I like the music. Reminded me, and probably because it's around the same era, and it's the same British era uh, of Oliver. Oliver, mm-hmm. yep. um, and that being like, it's got some good songs, and then the person who kind of steals it is her father. Yes, like his first song of that's what he won an award for it. Yeah, like his first song just reminded me of the song. Uh, in Oliver, where he's sending all the kids off. Be back soon. Right. So long, pretty wet. We'll yep. be back soon. I don't remember his first song. It's not Get Me to the Church on Time. No, it's... it's um, uh, it's, it's... Go to the uh, patent office. Yeah. Yeah, no, the patent office. No. <laughs> but anyway, keep going. Um, Actually, I have a funny story about uh, um, getting... Uh, I'm getting married in the morning. Mm-hmm. My grandmother... Was getting married to my grand was going to get married to my grandfather. She did. Spoiler alert. And uh, my my aunt the day before the wedding went to my grandmother and she was like, "Are you sure that you actually want to marry him? Because we can just live together forever instead. That's totally fine." And my grandmother like said she's like, "I paused for a second and then I started singing. I'm getting married in the morning and stood up and left the room." <laughs> That's nice, nice grandma, nice savage mic drop, hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how true yeah. that story is because I actually don't know when this. I don't know when this musical came out in like relation to when my grandparents got married. Your whole life has been a lie. It like, could be a know? lie. <laughs> like, so I'm like 
I'm scared. I, I'm scared to look at the date of the show. Right. Because it was actually like two months before this movie came out. Well, it could have been the actual Broadway show. Yeah. It didn't have to be the movie. I know it was definitely not the movie. Um, unless they want to explain where my mom came from and my aunt's. Uh, my, uh, your, enti- your entire family history now is is being called into question because right. of this movie. I know exactly. So that's why I can't look too. I can't look too far <laughs> into it. Anyway, I think the costumes, the set design, everything is spectacular. It's a little bit of a bummer that Audrey Hepburn is cast as Eliza and doesn't. She's not a sing singer, so part. she doesn't sing her own part. And you you can tell. Yeah. So I actually read an interview with. George Kakor, uh, for for grad school, and he was talking about My Own Fair Lady in it, and he said the trick with musicals, which most people don't think, is that they do have to sing on set when you film them, because you can tell when somebody's lip syncing, it looks terrible, and so they are they record the track ahead of time of themselves, and then they sing out loud with themselves, like, and then they and so they can merge the audios, like, not merge the audio, but they like then are in perfect sync with what they're with what they're mouthing on set because you can watch the hat like if their tongue isn't moving is if their guy if their Adam's apple isn't bobbing up and down things like that you can tell when somebody's lip syncing versus somebody singing actually singing the the trick to that um and I forget if it was a thing that I was watching on Millie Vanilli or it was something about lip singing the trick to it is you're right you you're supposed to sing but like you sing in such a soft voice that it can't be heard but your mouth and you're still going through the actual words sure, that's, yeah. yeah that's right but um yeah which which makes tons of sense i mean for but for a film but she trained to sing the part they just they just felt her voice was too weak that doesn't you know it's funny because now they don't there are now they don't do that. They just say, "Nope, sorry, you're going to do it anyway." Not no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Uh, for the most part, uh, Greatest Showman. She doesn't sing. Who's she? Never enough. Oh yes, that's right. Um, yeah, that's why I didn't say her name because I forgot it too. Oh my God, Mission Impossible. Right, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole, exactly. I. You should, but there are instances where, let's say. Um, uh, oh my gosh! I'm just not. I'm not with the names today. Emma Watson in Beauty and the Beast, who was great. No, and she's her not. Voice was angelic. Well, my the point with all that is that there's like voice modulators and stuff now, and so they sometimes Which will rely did. too heavily on the voice modulator, and then you can tell, right? Like if you if it relies to um what uh, Amanda Seyfried in um, Les Mis is a good example of voice modulated in Mamma Mia but didn't really in Les Mis and right. her voice is very very weak in in Les Mis there's a lot of issues with Les Mis and one of them was taking the live singing on set yes that was that was an interesting experiment didn't didn't really fly yeah. no um but anyway my fair lady it's an excellent adaptation of Pygmalion it's I good. Th- I think the acting is really good. The songs are nice, but it's a little too long. It is. It is too long. I agree. I think a lot of these movies are too long. 
Yeah. It's it's just a little too long. And the ending, like, the whole problem of, like, her her going with the guy and then the fallout with the professor is just, it's tacked on. Yeah, you know what's true? I don't think the love story is actually necessary. As much as I love On the Street Where You Live, I don't think it is a necessary component to this movie. I think the relationship purely between Professor Higgins and Eliza, and then in some cases, you know, Colonel Pickering, whatever, that's the important that's the important part. The, right. The rest of it, it's fine. Um, I don't think we need it. Do you have anything further to add, or do you want to do some fun facts? Um, I wouldn't mind a movie that takes place in between, in between her father taking the money off of Henry Higgins, and when we see him again with "Get Me to the Church," because it seems like he had a very funny story. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and we never see it. No, nope. it happens all off camera. It's just for your imagination. Yep. He's like. Now I gotta. He's like, I went off and did this, and now I'm rich, and now your stepmother wants to marry me. <laughs> and it's like, what the heck happened? Like you, get, you were you? given five pounds, like which I can't imagine is a lot of money. I mean, it's less than half a crown. You know, it's probably a little bit more than tuppence, but it's five pounds, and you are going to the pub. With it. Our, like, our knowledge of old British currency is excellent. Yes. Yes. So, like, all right, so you could you could buy a few bur- uh, bags of bird feed with it, but... Sure. Like, what feed, happened between leaving birds. Henry Higgins' house and the pub? Did you become a rich man? Please write. Please write this show. I will watch it. If I was a rich man. No, 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 no. And it actually goes, so now I'm a rich man. <laughs> you know? I'm just going to steal the, I'm just going to steal the B-plot from Fiddler on the Roof. There you go. Fine. Can you do some fun facts now? Yeah, I can. Thank you. So we have to go to the movies. Well, we still have a half hour before. Yeah, but Jen I got I to gotta pack up the equipment and, you know, stuff like, you know, it takes time. But we have to at least mention Jen's name. Otherwise, she won't listen to the Jen, podcast. Jen, 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 Jen. Jen, Jen, Jen. Oh, uh, let's see. Jennifer. What happened? There we go. All right. Nailed it. First try. What movie were we talking about again? My Fair Lady. Okay. According to one of Rex Harrison's biographies, Alexander Walker, the song I've Grown Accustomed to Her Face, held special memories for the actor as during the original Broadway run, he used to sing the song to his third wife, Kay Kendall, who would stand in the wings watching his performance. Harrison later admitted that when he sang the song in the film, he was thinking all about, all the time about Kendall, who had died a few years before from leukemia. Wow, that's terrible and special. I think Julie Andrews was the original Eliza, yeah. which means that yeah. that's my fun fact connection to Mary Poppins in yeah. this episode. That's fun. Yeah, I didn't go with that one. That's good, because I knew it. You were smart. You don't like it when I know the fun facts ahead of time. For the 30th anniversary re-release in 1994, the film was painstakingly restored by Robert Harris and James Katz, the same team that restored Lawrence of Arabia, Spartacus, Vertigo. The restoration was called for because Warner Brothers only owned the rights to the film for a certain period of time before the rights reverted to CBS, who discarded most of the basic materials. The digital restoration of the film, saving it from from extinction, took six months and cost $600,000. Wow. That's crazy because now you can't even get it digitally because CBS 
owns it. Which is weird that it's not on CBS's streaming service. I agree. Somebody should tell CBS that. Hey, yeah. CBS, shut up with your Star Trek. It put My Fair Lady on, but also don't shut up with the Star Trek. Stop recolorizing I Love Lucy and put My Fair Lady on your access. I mean, it's weird that Warner Brothers paid to have the film uh, digitized and recolored when CBS was like, ah, we're throwing all this stuff out. Um, well, I think they threw it out previously, like years, years and years and years before. But My Fair Lady is an important part of film history, yeah. so I can understand wanting to spend the money to save it. Because of the way Rex Harrison talked his way through the musical numbers, they were unable to pre-record them and have him lip sync. So a wireless microphone, one of the first ever developed, was rigged up and hidden under his tie. However, this meant that his mouth and words... His mouth and words, yes, ...were completely in sync, and everyone else's looked off since they were lip-syncing. When everyone is lip-syncing, this is not that noticeable. Huh. The studio thought that this was too obvious, so they altered Harrison's soundtrack... Lengthening and shortening notes in various places so that his synchronicity is slightly off like all the other actors. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And bonus fun fact, Audrey Hepburn announced the assassination of John F. Kennedy to the devastated cast and crew on November 22nd, 1963, immediately after filming Wouldn't It Be Lovely on the Convent Garden set. Covent Garden. Right. Yeah. Convent Garden set. Covent. Covent no, convent. Okay, that's whatever. It's not, it's not how you say it. C-O-V-E-N-T? It's not how you say it. Covet Garden. Convent. Okay. I'm, I'm telling you, that's like literally not how you say it. It's just like Crate and Crete. It's the same thing. I'm not hearing a difference. Okay. Convent. Nope. Covet. Like, almost like I covet this object. Smog. Smog. I'm not hearing a difference. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, that's like that's like I'm not. That's a wow. That was a that was a reference from way back from uh, Stephen Colbert's late night with Stephen Colbert. It wasn't even when he was on, right? Yeah, that was still late night with Stephen Colbert. No, not late night. That was still the Stephen Colbert show. Wow, I can't believe that you pulled that out and I knew it. Whatever. He's interviewing Smog. Yeah, I'm not hearing a difference. Smog. Smog, smog, smog. I'm not hearing a difference. difference. Uh, so good. That was your second John F. Kennedy fa- assassination fact. Well, I mean, we're. So, I would imagine. I would imagine next year is going to be the same thing. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. All right. Are you ready for the Rewindies? Yes. Oh, good. I'm so ready for. Who's the this year's host of the Rewindies? Uh, Peter Cushing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Actor. Rex Harrison. I'm going to give it to Rex Harrison, too, because he's really awesome in My Fair Lady, though I still think it's a bit of a cheat that he gets it because (laughs) he originated the part on Broadway. Okay. Still kind of a cheat, but he's that good. Yeah. So Rex Harrison almost gave it to Peter Sellers because he plays three parts. I was just going to joke when like you were like, best actor, Peter Sellers. Best supporting actor, Peter Peter Sellers. Sellers. Yeah. Best actress, Peter Sellers. All of them. He did He did <laughs> such a great job. He was the woman on the bed. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Uh, best actress? Uh, Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews. I agree. Ex- you know, it's funny. I had forgotten that she actually won yeah. when, until I was doing this. And during the whole watching of Mary Poppins, I was like, 
she's going to get my best actress because she because damn it this this role is unforgettable right <laughs> and so there you go best supporting actor George C Scott agreed George C Scott for Doctor Strange Love yeah. he is just the best he really is he's the best supporting actress this is very difficult this was this was not a year with a lot of supporting Mrs. actresses Banks. um Glennis Johns yeah yeah. Shoulder to shoulder. I mean, the fact that they wrote a song just for her. That's right, because Mrs. Banks is not about the vote in P.L. Travers' original stories. She's not. I don't even think this Mrs. Banks is really about the vote, because she's like, we're all for the vote. Mr. Banks is coming. Hide this stuff. Yeah, I know. You know how (laughs) the We are very liberal. (laughs) You know how how the cause upsets Mr. Banks. So funny. This movie, I like Mary Poppins so much because it's, because I appreciate as an adult, right. as much as a kid, even more as an adult. Um, and how the kite represents their broken family. And at the end, when it's all the four pieces amended together, it's because they are all back together. That's right. Oh, yeah. You've learned so much. I'm so, so proud of you. Supporting actress, uh, you said you said Mrs. Banks. I'm going to say Irene Pappas from, from Zorba the Greek. She okay. played the widow. I really feel bad that Audrey Hepburn doesn't win anything. but She'll win another she, time. She beat. Like Julie Andrews beats her in Mary Poppins, and she is technically the star of My Fair Lady, so I couldn't justify giving it to her. You know, I I thought about it, but she is the star. She is literally the fair lady, right? <laughs> yeah. So she's not the supporting actress. She yeah, is the no. lead actress. But but Mary Poppins is Mary Poppins. Yes. Yeah. And I almost gave best supporting actor to her father, who, who did won win it. Right. Yeah. But George C. Scott is really good. I agree. I just enjoy him more. Yeah. Cinematography. Go ahead. I'm going to give it to Mary Poppins. Okay. Yeah, I can. I can definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There were a, actually a lot of these films were really excellent. They were all really well shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I Mary Poppins is just Mary Poppins. I think is it's just more a, of a technical achievement. That's it. And that Mary Poppins is a technical achievement because we don't really like we've done special effects in the past. But when I think of cinematography and, like, camera tricks, like, there's, yeah, even, like, the cinematography in the animated sequences. Yes, I really agree. Good. Yes, I agree. Um, speaking of special effects, special effects. I'm going to give it to Beckett. For the for the, for the cardboard For the cardboard crown. crown. Yeah. We could do costumes for that. If you, I can <laughs> add costumes as a category. I try to add a little bit each season. So... Okay, special effects for the crown. I'm going to give it to Mary Poppins because, obviously, it's the one with the special effects. Well, I mean, we didn't actually blow up the Earth in Mm -hmm. Doctor Strangelove. No, we didn't. That was great stock footage. Yeah. Yes, that's not special effects. (laughs) Uh, Production design. Uh, Beckett. I, you know, it's funny. I originally had Mary Poppins, and then you told me that Beckett was a set, and I was like, oh, no, that it's Beckett. Yeah. Because that's just great. Absolutely. It's really good. Uh, best editing. Okay, go ahead. Mary Poppins. Yeah. Although although I would almost give it to... I would almost give it to My Fair Lady for editing around um, Rex Harrison. But... <laughs> But and and the but definitely definitely Mary Poppins, sound design and mixing. Um, Doctor Strangelove. 
Oh, yeah. just just because I am going to give it to my fair lady because of what you told me about the microphone and Rex Harrison and the dubbing and this and all this stuff like that's that's a good achievement. So I'm going to I'm going to give it to my fair lady. Best music. Best music. Mary Poppins. I will give it to Mary Poppins as well, although my fair lady also has wonderful music and the music in Beckett is extraordinarily good. I really enjoyed the music in Beckett, but it's not Mary Poppins. Yeah. Best writing. Dr. Strange love. Best writing goes to Dr. Strange love. I'm going to give best writing to Beckett and then best picture. Dr. Strange love. Whoa. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Way out of the corner. I really thought you were going to go with Zorba the Greek. I thought I, I know I like to be, I like to throw that curveball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, throw that curveball. I'm gonna give it to Mary Poppins. Yeah, um, it was close, but I, I just like Doctor Strangelove more. I think Doctor Strangelove is. It has a little bit more resonance. In a weird way, Doctor Strangelove is actually a better film. I yeah. think. I think it's a better constructed film because it's Kubrick and yeah, you know, and, and stuff. But I think the looking back, the impact, the blah blah blah, all that stuff that right, I which do. Is fine. I think Mary Poppins has a, a bigger impact than the rest of these films put together. Um, I would say that Doctor Strange Love has a decent amount of impact and it's still relevant. Definitely. It was a it was a close choice, but both are really great films. And what ends up breaking the tie for me is just like I would probably say I like Doctor Strange Love a little bit more than Mary Poppins. Okay. I mean that's that is fair. That is absolute that is absolutely fair. I I'm I am still a little surprised, but that's okay. I mean, I Strange Love, Doctor Strange Love is a great film, so I'm not. I will not contest. Yeah. I do not presume to argue with you, um, but it's, you kind you, I guess you kind of laid it all at the feet of Mary Poppins, and then went with Doctor Strange Love. I guess that's the where I was, where I'm. Well, I mean, I did give it um, Georgie Scott. And sounding. Oh no! I just meant when we were um, discussing the films, because you because you had a gripe with the end of Doctor Strange Love, right? And I still have that gripe, but I mean, I have the gripe with the animated stuff in Mary Poppins too. Mm-hmm. Like there's, but neither one of those things bring down the movie for me. Sure. Like I said, like with uh, My Fair Lady, like to me, it stops the film dead. And makes like the last hour kind of screech on. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Mary Poppins, once it gets past that, it picks up its pace again. Sure. So I would easily place My Fair Lady like third in these movies. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Palmer, uh, we are ready for to hear the 1955 Best Picture nominees. Okay. Okay. You know how we knew most of these movies? And by most of them, I mean... Pretty much all of them. We even knew the names. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you ready? You ready for this? No. The Cane Mutiny. Okay. I know that one. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I know that one. The Country Girl. Nope. On the Waterfront. I know that one. Three Coins in the Fountain. Nope. Nope. Okay. It's not bad. Three three for five is yeah. okay. That's all right. I think I also knew. Those are the ones I knew. I didn't know Country Girl yeah. or Three Coins Seven in the Fountain. Brides for Seven Brothers is yet another musical. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, Kane Mutiny, I had heard it's of. Not a musical. And on the waterfront, I've seen. So I, I feel accomplished. Yeah. I believe it's Canine Mutiny. It is not. I believe it is a mutiny it, about it, dogs. It's actually the Michael Kane Mutiny. 
Yeah, Michael Caine talks like this. Yeah, yeah. I'm oh. pretty sure it's about dogs overthrowing a ship's captain. No, it's Beethoven. Oh, Beethoven okay. Seven, the K Nine Mutiny. <laughs> Sounds about right. Excellent. You can find us on Academy Rewind at Academy Rewind on Twitter, where you can find Palmer. Uh, you can not email us at academyrewind at gmail dot com, and you can find me at Timothy PG thirteen. On Twitter, you can rate and review us on iTunes and find us other places podcasts can be found. You can head over to ThoughtBubbleAudio.com to check all of our other ThoughtBubble Audio shows. And you can head over to Patreon.com slash ThoughtBubbleAudio to support the show in all of our endeavors because watching these movies is expensive and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Also, hosting websites and stuff gets expensive too. So, you know. Yeah. You know, whatever. Even 25 cents a month it goes a long way. For less than a cup of coffee. Yes. Yes, for less than a cup of coffee, you can own this puppy or something. Yeah. Yes. Is that how it goes? Rent this puppy. No. Adopt this puppy. That's what it is. Adopt. Uh, no, it was to help out children. Oh, yeah. I guess there's that, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, they do the dog ones. Yeah. I will remember you. No, that's Angel. Is that Angel? Yeah. In the arms of an angel. Oh, in the arms of yeah. an angel. Oh, my goodness. There's so many songs. It's not the important part. Palmer, I think they're playing us off. No, I have so many people to thank. Oh, too bad. Bye. Bye. It's tuppence a bag. <laughs> tuppence a bag. You know you're not actually supposed to feed the birds. Yeah, it's forbidden at St. Paul's Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Bread is bad for their stomachs. Well, no, they were just getting fat, and St. Paul's was like, no, they're pooping everywhere. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. St. Paul's is very pretty. <laughs> okay.